Good morning and welcome. I'm Shay Ryanga. If we have not met, I am blessed to be one of the pastors here. And as we continue our sermon series, we're calling Double Blessing. This is a special weekend. We uh, have some time. If you guys have time, I want to bring it to your attention that we're there's a gathering happening after these 11 o'clock services in the well and the sanctuary and all the ministry that is happening right here and right now in this hour. After all that, we're going to move on over to the sanctuary for a special ceremony and then and for those of you who will brave the, the, maybe the rain with us, we're going to walk across the street and break new ground. Um, phase one of our Together campaign officially, um, it, technically we, we've been in it, and, but we're, we're breaking ground finally today. And I do say finally today. Can I get an amen from Link Moss? Finally. All right. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what that means for us. Last week, we introduced this series and we talked about what this word blessing means, that we can't reduce the word blessing to mean only health, wealth, and prosperity, but that God's blessings have more to do with some of the complications he gives us, some of the situations he gives us that we don't always love, <laughs> some of the pain we have to live through in life, that anything that God gives to make us fully satisfied in him, anything that he wants to give us to draw us closer to himself is a blessing. And our sermon series comes from a book that Dr. Mark Batterson wrote by the same name called Double Blessing. And, and he talked about how God blesses us not to raise our standard of living, but God blesses us to raise our standard of giving. And although I think Dr. Batterson is right about this, it's important, I think, for us to clarify something with this phrase and figure out and identify where this is located in our life of faith. That this doesn't just happen right away. Um, that this is a development that happens. That this happens after we're saved, after we come to accept Jesus as Lord, or after we're justified before God, after we've said yes and asked God to forgive us, and after we've surrendered our lives. And I want to be clear with us. It's, um, it's after, and I want to acknowledge and not over, oversimplify anything this morning. For many of us, that is a gradual process. For some of us, that happens in a moment, in an instant. And wherever you are on that journey, whether you've accepted Jesus or not, I want you to know that you belong here and I'm so happy that you're here. But this happens, this growing and raising our standard of giving happens after this kind of closed loop. And so I hope this kind of makes sense. But before we kind of, before we accept Jesus as Lord, we just, our life is a closed loop that revolves around ourself. It revolves around our kids, our family, revolves around work. We can maybe add some other things here, but it is a closed loop. It is a closed loop driven by our pride and our selfishness and the, our ability to want to control, to gain all that we can as long as we're here. It's a closed loop. But as Christ enters our life, our life changes. And I would use a warmer color, but then you wouldn't see it. So our transformation happens and our lives continue to revolve, revolve around some of the same things, but they're open to God. They're open to hear from the Lord. We're open to receive the means of grace. We listen to God. A lot of, a lot of our lives still revolves around some of the same things, self, work, 
kids, but our life is transformed. The color of our life changes. We emanate the love of God and we're open to hear from the Lord. And it is after this, it is in this process of growing closer to God that we grow in our standard of giving, as Dr. Batterson calls it, increases in our life. We then give and receive. Before we just kind of do what we're naturally, what we naturally do, what we have a proclivity to do. And some of us exhaust ourselves sitting here in this church and we still struggle with this. We just give and we give and we give and we give. And some of us don't really have that problem. We like to sit back and just receive all, all that we want to receive and just, just let the blessings come to us. And some of us have natural proclivities one way or another. But as Christ enters our life, we give and receive. And the more and more we give, the more and more we receive and the more and more God gives to us and blesses us with family and a community of faith, the more we give. And so what is this? What does this have to do with how special this Sunday is? And what does this have to do with our building campaign and our life here at church and why are we breaking ground and how big do we need to be anyway? And, and what does all this mean, these steps that we're taking, this groundbreaking symbolizes? And so I, I want those questions to be hanging for us as we explore Acts chapter seven. And we don't have enough time to go verse by verse through the entire chapter of Acts, but, but I want us to go through Acts chapter seven because this is Stephen's speech And Stephen's speech revolves around a building, some building issues, and revolves around how things used to be. So I I want to invite you to find in your Bibles, if you have them with you, Acts chapter 7, and we find Stephen embroiled in this controversy is being brought before this group of people, this Jewish council called the Sanhedrin, and he's being accused we look in Mark chapter 14 and some of the charges against Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this building, this temple, (laughs) and rebuild it in three days. And Jesus is charged over and over again with changing the law of Moses. And these same accusations are being brought against Stephen. Same charges that were brought against Stephen. And some of us, it's hard because we don't have a frame of reference for this, but frame of reference for this, but many of us have been in church long enough to have experienced a, a resistance to change sometimes. It's been a long time since a contemporary service was introduced in this church. But, but I've, I've, not too long ago, I've been part of churches where not my, not, that's not gonna happen in my church. And the sight of a drum set in the sanctuary I mean, certain choir members, whoo, I mean, I was there a few years and, and I, not, a, not, not a Sunday would pass sometimes it felt like where I didn't hear something about the sight of the drums in the sanctuary. And although we quarrel about some of these things and we're resistant to change in the church, a lot of it doesn't rise to the level of violence. And maybe Stan has some pushback against that. It's like, Shay, let me explain something to you. I've, I've been around and I've heard some, some things people have said to me. But, but here what's being mentioned, what Stephen is saying, <laughs> 
I mean, it, just, just to say something like the temple's irrelevant would be one thing and would be enough to incite some violence. But, but he's talking about the temple being destroyed and to understand the thrust and the power and just of how this is heard from Stephen. It's hard for us to understand this, that Jerusalem is the holiest city. I mean, Jerusalem was believed to be the center of the world. And in the center of the city that's in the center of the world is the temple. It's at the center of the city that is at the center of the world. And in the temple is the very presence of God, the holy of holies. It is where God's presence was believed to dwell. And so the farther and farther to the degree that you move out and there were partitions and, and, and just barriers within the temple court area that only certain people could get so close. There were partitions and, and separations. You could only get so close to God's presence. But as you move out, literally as you move farther and farther away from the temple, from Jerusalem, from the land, the promised land of Israel, you get farther and farther from the presence of God. The temple not only is the holiest place, the place of God's presence, but it's a symbol of national identity. It's become a monument of pride amongst the nations. It stands for prosperity. There's an economy that happens with the sacrificial system of the temple and groups like the Sadducees don't want that to change. They have a lot to lose if that kind of process changes. And so there's this prosperity of economy that's happening. It's this national monument. It's the holiest place on earth. And so Stephen, Stephen begins to address this issue and these accusations by retelling this Jewish council, these experts, he begins by telling them their own story, which you can imagine just on its face how they might receive that. These experts, these authority figures. Like, let, me, let me explain your own story to you. And so he begins with Father Abraham. He begins with Father Abraham and he says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still living in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran in Mesopotamia. So for us, um, I don't want to diminish the power of the holiness of the place of Jerusalem and the temple and all the significance that that is. But for us, some of this geography is so foreign that I want to use the state of Texas a little bit to help us understand um, how, what, what kind of directions we're talking about as these other places are identified for us. Um, so 33 nations of Israel could fit into the state of Texas. So we can stay within the state of Texas to understand directionally where he's referring to. So he says, Father Abraham, God appeared to Father Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia. Think like Tyler, Tyler. And DFW for our, all, all intents and purposes is, is sort of our center, our Jerusalem, right? I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna get in the weeds and pick between Dallas and Fort Worth with y'all. Not, we're not gonna go there. We'll just say DFW. And so think off to the east, Tyler, right? Mesopotamia outside of the land. 
before he comes to Haran, some, somewhere like in the Sherman area. And so both of those places, again, are outside of the Holy Land. Both of those places are outside of the Promised Land. He's retelling them their own story. And he says, and he moves on from Abraham and says, remember Joseph, the chosen one of God amongst the brothers, amongst the history. Joseph, his brothers rejected. And Joseph goes down to Egypt in slavery. We'll say Austin is Egypt. That's kind of funny in a lot of, for a lot of reasons, but that's another sermon, I think. <laughs> so, so Joseph goes down to Egypt. And what happens? I mean, he ends up being um, with his own leadership and with his own abilities. But in addition to that, the blessing that God gives him and the vision that God gives him and the provision that God gives him, he's able to rescue his family in Egypt, which is not in Israel. Again, outside of the land. And so as this story plays out and we're introduced again to Moses, perhaps the most significant figure in Israel's history, Moses, who also was brought up in the land of Egypt. He isn't weird. He remembers who he is. And he sees one of his brothers. He sees he sees the kind of oppression and the kind of abuse that one of his brothers takes and he avenges him. But what does Stephen say? What does Stephen highlight? He says, his own people, your, his own people rejected him. And so he leaves, he flees to Midian. So think Corsicana, modern day Saudi Arabia um, on the map. If you're looking at the map, this is technically Saudi Arabia, right? He flees to Midian and he has a family there. He gets married and he becomes a shepherd and he sees God in, through this burning bush close to Mount Sinai, again in Egypt. All this taking place outside of the land. And he highlights again that Moses was rejected again by the people time and time again as he's the deliverer, as he rescues them out of Egypt. He brings them to a place of rescue and what? The golden calf, this kind of idolatry that happens. And so Stephen connects this idolatry and this rejection to the exile in Babylon. And then Stephen wants to circle back and talk about worship. He wants to circle back and talk about worship and being in God's presence. And he highlights the tabernacle, how the tabernacle was given to Israel. The tabernacle, if you remember, was just a tent. It was a tent set up in the wilderness with, again, some of these partitions. And then behind the veil, the Ark of, of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. This moved with Joshua into the land. This stayed with David, whom God's favor was upon. And David has the, the idea to build the temple, but it isn't David that does it. It's Solomon who comes and builds the temple. And at the end of the speech, Stephen does a lot of showing. He wants to show Israel their own history. He wants to show them all throughout history. God has appeared outside the land. God has been and chosen to live with his people. And then he's done with the showing and it's this straight, strict and tough word at the end of his speech. He says, you stiff necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. 
You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And now the crowd has heard enough. And as they move to take Stephen's life, what Stephen sees, not in looking down, not at looking where the temple is, but Stephen looks up and what he sees when he looks up is heaven opens up. And as we remember at the end of the gospels where Jesus ascends to be seated at the right hand of the father, when Stephen, when Stephen looks up as he tries to help Israel understand that all that's happened is for their fulfillment, that this is what they've been waiting for and how misguided that they've been. As he's explaining all this, the end of his life is upon him and he looks up, not at the temple, he looks up and he sees heaven open and he sees Jesus standing. We don't see this in any other place. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the father as an advocate for Stephen validating and confirming the truthfulness of Stephen's testimony. And in a sense, maybe welcoming him in. And in this act, Stephen is blessed by getting to see the glory of God and live before his life is taken. And the last thing that he says before he dies is do not, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen powerfully shows how it's always been God's intention to live in fellowship with his people. National borders and boundaries and bricks and mortar cannot contain God who says his house is heaven. The earth is like his footstool. What kind of house can contain God? You see, Stephen likes the tabernacle. He points out the tabernacle. And if we think about the tabernacle, it's mobile. It moves with the people. We think about Noah, Noah's ark, and how God directs Noah to make the ark. God gives his word to Moses to build the tabernacle. But when it comes to the temple, you know, David is sitting and he loves God, but he's sitting in his house and he says, my house is made of cedar. And yet, and yet the ark of the covenant's over here in a tent. So he has this desire that comes from a good place to build a glorious house for God. But, and, and we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, but fast forward in 1 Kings 6, Solomon is already making plans and preparations and Solomon has already started to build the temple when we see God come to Samuel and say this, as for this temple you were building, notice the difference in how God directs the ark. Notice how God directs the building of the tabernacle. God comes to Solomon and says, as for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to your father. And I will live among the Israelites and I will not abandon my people Israel. <laughs> he says, you know, it's always been, whether you build this house or you don't build this house, I'm gonna be with my faithful people. 
through the rejection and idolatry, we see God still loves Israel. God's response to David, whose heart is in the right place to build God a house, he says, you're not gonna build me a house. God responds to him in 2 Samuel chapter seven. He says, I'm, I, the Lord your God, I'm gonna build you a house. I'm gonna build for you a house in a kingdom that will have no end. And so we see this major theme in Stephen's speech is that God is on the move. God's heart is to dwell with his people and lead them into the fullness of his love. His summary of this history of Israel is to highlight how God chooses this particular people. And we see this particular history that is tied to land, that is tied to place in, in the specific nature of certain individuals. And God calls specific people, but it's meant to bless the entire world. That all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. That to erect this monument in such a way is misguided. And so when we think about why we're doing what we're doing and why we're building what we're building, it isn't to build a monument to our name. It isn't to build a big and glorious temple that, that's the city of Mansfield and the surrounding area can look and say, look, and, and for our name to be great. But we're building this project. We're building this project because we're open to the leading of the Holy Spirit because we, we've received a word from God, our leadership and many of you and your willingness to be faithful and to stay before the Lord in prayer, to, to reflect and think and discern who is God calling us to be? How are we called to expand his kingdom? That this isn't a fixed place for God's presence to live, especially here. But, but we're creating more places and spaces to accommodate more temples and more houses of God because Christ, the hope of glory, lives in you. We are the houses and we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And as we gather, we receive the means of grace of God that this church that we continue to build, whether it's a parking lot or to expand our student ministry space, which by the way, we just had 120 guests at Night to Shine. Can I get an amen? 120, biggest ever, 120 guests, over 300 volunteers for Night to Shine special needs ministries. So many of us in this room, we're not even aware of all that we do. And the team that we have in India, and all the, the beautiful people that God continues to move into the city of Mansfield. And so as we're faithful to reach the unreached who are already here, I know God's going to double and triple our blessing and bringing more people who are moving into our community because that's who God has called us to be. That the church is as much a mobilization center. It isn't to be a huddle. It isn't to be contained. We know God's presence isn't just here. God's presence is in you and me to move us out, to be the light, to spread the good news. And so a verse for us that I wanna lift up as we go and break ground here in a little bit is Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, which says this, sow righteousness for yourselves, 
reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Because you see there's this temptation, church. There is this temptation to close these spaces, to allow dirt, fallow dirt, to fill these spaces. And we can just, our faith becomes what God once did. Faith becomes what was. And we gain control of our life and we fall back into the pattern of our pride and our ability and our, our need to try to control life. And church becomes maybe a part of that. But we lose the active and the dynamic relationship with the Lord that he wants to have with us. We can easily fall into a temple mentality because the temple fits in this model. God is here and only here and defined. And I've got God comfortable. <laughs> and yet we've chosen to be here, but to be here, to stay open, to stay open and grow. So these lines become thinner and thinner and thinner. And this space increases till the day comes where we see God face to face. And we have that same vision of Stephen. It's all glory. And we see the Lord as Stephen sees the Lord in the end. That is, that is the journey that we're on. That's, that's the kind of fellowship and the communion that God wants with you and me. But in order to do that, in order to stay in this place and to grow closer to God, we've got to tend to the fallow ground in our life. We've got to dig up the unplowed ground. And for many of us, being generous is unplowed ground. For some of us, our prayer life is unplowed ground. For some of us, faith, believing, believing that God's word and God will do everything he said he will do. For some of us, that is unplowed ground. What is the unplowed ground in your life that needs to be tilled? You need to start sowing righteousness because <laughs> it is fitting today that rain maybe is upon us because as we do this work, as we sow righteousness, as we tend upon maybe some of the, the ground in our relationship that has grown fallow, we've gotten complacent. We've become vulnerable and in that, some of these gaps have started to close and we haven't given God space. We haven't given him time in our life. What is that for you? Because that is so much of what today symbolizes as we break up unplowed ground that we're not gonna settle. We're not just gonna maintain what came before us. We're gonna keep moving and try to keep up with what God is already doing. We wanna follow where God leads and be equipped that when we, where we go, where we go with him, we're ready for what he's already doing there. And that's our life. It's never static. It's never in maintenance mode. And so for us as a body, it's important for us to continue to dig up unplowed ground so that we're always aware 
and we give God the space and time to lead us into the people he's called us to be. Dirt was first turned on this property March 19th, 1980, right here at 3.30 p.m. Same shovel, I'm told, that Pastor David will use here in a little bit. So as we approach this time, um, I wanna think about these words of faith that were shared on that March afternoon a while back. Before any shovel entered this ground, prior to any foundation being laid, when all that was here was an unplowed field. God planted in that small group of people the seed of a dream. You are the church that 40 years ago others dreamed might one day be. For many of us here, some of the seats that we're in, some of the pews that they're in, we didn't pay for. They were paid for by someone else. So today's a historic day and I'm excited for what this represents because of your willingness to serve, because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity. I get to be here. Like, and it's a miracle. And I'm so thankful and I'm so grateful to be here in this time for this day as we look forward to the future that God has promised us. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, Help each and every one of us understand that there's always the temptation. The enemy is always active, lulling us into complacency, trying to make us vulnerable, trying to convince us that we can control our life, that we have what we need, Lord. And for the patterns and the cycles that we get caught up in, where we don't give you time, where we don't sit and listen, where we refuse to worship. We refuse to, to come and be part of a community of faith, to be lifted up and encouraged by each other. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, we have a desire because we know, we, we have sensed your movement in our life and what you're calling us to and where you're leading us. And so God, for each of us individually and as a community of faith, we wanna break up unplowed ground. And so for those of us that that involves generosity, you're calling us to give more than we've ever given. Lord, help us understand what that means for us, what that means for us financially, what that means for us with our time. For those of us who need to dig up the unplowed ground in our prayer life, in our faith, Lord, continue that work in us. Help us sow righteousness, see the fruit of your unfailing love, God. Because we know and we have confidence and trust that like today as your rain falls, you rain down on us your grace. We receive your rain, your goodness, your mercy, your majesty, God. We receive your miracles. God, we expect them in our life. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.